Gravity Equation, the world's best, most uh, comprehensive, and perhaps the only podcast going through the career of Jack Kirby's Machine Man, from cog to rivet to gear. This week, we'll be going through issue 18 of volume one of Machine Man. Uh, But first, as ever, there's admin to do. Um, This is episode 24 of the podcast. uh, And after much much discussion, we're going to be doing issue 18. Uh, I know a lot of people on the board were talking about whether um, the two Marvel team-up issues uh, should be fitted in now, um, despite the fact that in this very issue, um, Machine Man himself alludes to what happens in the Marvel team-up annual three. Um, I don't want to break up the storyline involving Madame Mayhem, so we're going to do the two team-up issues once we've got through the um this run of issues so it's after 19 so we're gonna get to the end of the run of the issues and then we're gonna go back a little and uh do them in in that order i hope this doesn't disappoint too many people i know there was some quite quite angry comments about the order that things should be in um but you know it's these are all these are all from 1980 so Let's let's just move on. Um, <laughs> however, so um, also in admin as ever, there was the competition last week. Um, last week's competition winner is Stuart Davidson from Swindon. Um, the answer, um, as I'm sure most of you know, was Warren Oates. Although I would have also accepted John Holmes as the answer to the question. Your copy, uh, Stuart, of the Kirby Deco Mer- uh, Machine Man Omnibus is already in the post to you, and I hope you enjoy it. So, on to this week's episode. Uh, joining us, and I think you might have heard him a little there, um, is Gareth. Uh, Gareth, would you like to say hello? Uh, uh, yeah, hello, you're right. Uh... I'm good, yeah, yeah, yeah. Introduce yourself to the listeners, for those uh, amongst them who don't know you. Uh, yeah, so um, for those who are, don't know me, um, I haven't been very active on the board since the first couple of episodes. Sorry, everyone. Um, my name is Gareth A. Hopkins. I am uh, an abstract artist who does comics. Uh, I'm also a podcaster in my own right. I do a podcast called Alpha Podflight, where we cover Alpha Flight in uh, not chronological because I haven't got the patience for it. Uh, uh, and I also wanted to rush on and talk about Bill Manlow. So, um, yeah, but that, that's me. Okay, so uh, Gareth Don as the resident expert in all things Alpha Flight, because this issue is, of course, Alone Against Alpha Flight. Um, this is uh, the issue of December 1980, although it was published in October. Um, we're looking at uh, Tom DeFalco still writing, Steve Ditko, the late, great Steve Ditko, uh, still on art, uh, Diana Albers on letters, Nell Yomtov on colours, Denny O'Neill as the editor, and Jim Shooter, the editor-in-chief. Now, let's just, um, we're going to run through the issue as usual and then see what we think about it. So I'm going to pass over to 
Gareth. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so um, what 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 happens in this issue? Okay, so I'll be as brief as I can. It's one of those weird things where not a lot happens, but a lot happens for nothing to happen, if that makes any sense at all. So mm-hmm. um, we see Machine Man, and he is stalking Madame Menace, who is an arms dealer, as uh, everyone knows. So uh, he's he's trying to get uh, get vengeance on her or justice on her. So he he breaks up one of her operations as they are packing up. He swings in and kicks a few of them and does some fighting. And then during the fight, someone shoots him with a sonic cannon or a sonic disruptor. A disruptor. A sonic rifle. Sonic rifle. It, it, <laughs> that's what it says here. Um, Machine Man shouts it, so we all know what it is. But um, someone hits him in the knee with it, and it causes his circuits to go weird, so he can't walk. Um, but he manages to win the fight and threatens one of the henchmen into saying that he doesn't know where Madame Menace is, and then he gets away by negating gravity and flying out of a broken wall. Um, Madame Menace has been watching all of this on the screen, so she says to her head henchman, Rollins, that uh, she wants Machine Man so that she can create an army of robots, and... So she hatches a plan somewhere in this. It's not chronological, I don't think, but she hatches a plan somewhere in here that she's going to shoot him with a sonic weapon to make him go all bendy and not work so she can capture him. Um, meanwhile, there is... Um, so then we, after that, we go back to um, Machine Man or... Um, oh, what's his face? Aaron Stack's apartment, where his best friends are sat around best friends <coughs> who do not get on um we've yep. what are their names uh, uh gears, gears garvin who's only been in um three issues now i think as he really okay oh, yeah so, he's everybody's brand new okay i hadn't realized okay that's good um so gears garvin is um an uncouth uh, mechanic who is very uh, uh, broad and likes burping and drinking beer. And then there's a psychiatrist who is called blah, Peter Spaulding. Uh, yep. And he is he's very worried that Machine Man's not back. And then him and um, Gears start to have an argument. Uh, and then Machine Man comes in through the window, shouts gentleman, and um, Gears has a look at his leg. And uh, Peter is... Uh, sort of inwardly apologetic for starting a fight about something so stupid. Then we have another subplot about um, Senator Miles Brickman, who hates Machine Man for a reason I either don't understand or can't remember. Is it just one of those sort of xenophobic it's robot a, things? It's, it's, he's, he's been after Machine Man since uh, Ditko took over on art, essentially. Okay. Um, he... A, uh, just a guy that hates machines. He looks a bit like an evil version of Ditko. So thinking back to when Ditko drew himself in Spider-Man for those little yep. that funny that one, extra bits. Image. Yeah, um, but he he looks like that except that he hasn't drawn the eyes in behind the glasses to give him yep. sort of that threatening look. He, so that's that's who he reminds me of. Um, but yeah, so he hatches. He's hatching a plot which is to convince the Canadian government that Machine Man is a threat 
uh, and then that's where we see um, somebody in the government in Canada, in Ottawa. Um, They are reviewing Machine Man on screen, so see him have a fight with Hulk from um, Hulk Annual... Oh, no, sorry. They they watch Sasquatch having a fight with Hulk from the Hulk Annual number 8, which I still haven't read. It definitely should. Um, Um, We had a guy on uh, earlier in the series when we were talking about the stories from the Hulk. mm. Uh, He's Canadian, and he he says that that Sasquatch issue was the first time he'd seen Alpha Flight in anything. Yeah, because it's it's one of the few... I think it's the last pre-Alpha Flight 1 Alpha Flight appearances I've not read. I've read all of the other stuff before Alpha Flight 1, except for that annual, which I'll probably track down this month, I think. Um, but yeah, so um, they see that, and then during this, we watch, um, uh, sorry, they watch footage of Machine Man fighting Hulk, and he beats him by sending him to Canada. He shoots him up into space, but uh, they think he deliberately aimed him at Canada. So the government want to get back at Machine Man, and they get their super special Agent K. Do you know, is there anything about Agent K that I should know, other than that he appears in this? Well, I was actually going to ask uh, you if he was an Alpha Flight character. He's not an Alpha Flight thing that I am aware of. I'm trying to think of the actor who he reminds me of. Um, It's never going to come to me in time to actually discuss it on this podcast. But in my mind, it's very... If I was a spiritualist medium now... I'd be able to see him and describe him, except that my description would be exactly the same as the guy on this page, so it's worthless. Um, but yeah, so uh, Agent K is the, the best secret agent in Canada, and then he goes and meets Alpha Flight. They do, uh, they're in their like danger. Oh, sorry, it's, he goes to meet Alpha Flight, but um, some of them are away having fun with the X Men fighting the Wendigo in Uncanny X-Men. So um, the, the the members of Alpha Flight who are left are North Star, Aurora, and Sasquatch. Uh, they're in their... Wendigo. Sorry? And Sasquatch is not Wendigo, which is uh, my own personal... <laughs> they're very uh, different. <laughs> very different. Yes, well, they're big and furry. Yes, true. Um, but one of them is a gamma scientist, and the other one just shouts Wendigo all the time. So... Yeah. Um, um, they yeah yeah, and they're in their version of the danger room. So Sasquatch proves that he's strong by um, fighting. He's he's got a four-ton hydraulic press pressing down his shoulders, and then North Star and Aurora do some exercises of their own, uh, and then they all get sent off in a limo. Oh, so um, they can't be seen to be operating in the U.S., so they go super secret in a limo. Um, into the United States. Yes, so, probably in style. I, yeah. The, the limo does, I don't know if it's a nod to the original issues in which Machine Man appeared, but there does seem to just be a, a gigantic monolith on the roadside. <laughs> next to the I noticed that. My best guess was that when the art was done, that said something which contradicted the text that went in afterwards. So that makes sense. Um, and then they blacked it out. But yeah, it could be a subtle nod to the monolith, monolith from 2001. Um, 
Then after that, we see some more of Madame Mayhem. Oh, with her sonic disruptor, so she's made a big version of the rifle. And then um, she does some more plotting. She goes off to her party as um, she is the glamorous Sunset Bane, the yeah, queen of international jet setters. She's wearing um, a Bob Mackie uh, yeah. dress. It does not look like a Bob Mackie dress. It does not look like that at all. No, he was. I, I wouldn't have known Bob Mackie except that he was on the news this morning. Um, and there's all sorts of share dresses yes, on display. Yes, that's sort of what he's most famous for, but I guess yeah. that's a little bit later. So, I don't know, maybe his style evolved from shapeless magenta gown. Um, well, no, because one of, one of the... Sorry, I don't know why we're talking about what I watched on the news this morning, but um, one of the things they showed was um, an outfit from Cher's TV show, which was probably late 60s, 70s. Yep. Um, and and she and Cher was wearing a Mackie dress in that. So um, yeah, so he would he'd, and it was very complicated and um, not at all like like this. And um, since we're on the subject of Cher, <laughs> yeah, the the Sonny Bono film, uh, the Cher and Sonny Bono um, movie they made together that was directed by William Friedkin of uh, The Exorcist fame is phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 about a couple splitting up. Um, uh, it's this sort of the, these, this famous pair, this famous couple that everybody knows from "I Got You, Babe," and it's about the, the absolute dissolution of their um, the relationships in song. And uh, yeah, I, it's 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 a it's a great time for everybody. There's a good um, song, divorce song in there about um, telling your kids. Um, that it's okay, but we're going to be living apart now. Lovely stuff. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll keep an eye out for that. Um, it's called Times, if I remember rightly. What's it called, sorry? Good Times. Good Times. Okay. Um, I will... <laughs> I'll almost definitely instantly forget about that. Um, but, yeah, okay. Stare at you now. <laughs> so... Oh, that's right. So when she's in her guise as um, ugh, Sunset Bane, she meets yep. Senator Brickman, uh, and she says that they've got a mutual friend, um, which means, I guess, they're plotting together now. I don't think it bears any fruit, though, other than they're both on the baddie side. Um, then after that, we see Aaron in his um, his office, and a sleazy man who I am not aware of tries to get him to invest in betting on high school girls badminton matches. That's right. Yeah, this is his his, uh, uh, his office co-worker. He's been in there for the last few issues as well. Okay. Uh, what since Ditko or before Ditko? Yeah, since Ditko. Okay. Yeah. Um. There's a, a, a essentially the the Kirby issues form a novel, and there's a there's a finale. Okay. Uh, uh, then uh, Machine Man went on a hiatus for about a year, apart from the the Hulk um, yeah. uh, uh, team up episodes, um, and then Ditko and uh, I think it was Marvel Wolfman, uh, and then later Tom DeFalco came on um, okay. with a complete change in direction. When it's just Kirby, um, it's it's not involved in the Marvel universe at all. Yeah, there, there are no crossovers. There are no guest stars. Because um, he started in 2001, right? That's, that's all I know. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's uh, introduced by the, the the monolith itself. Um, introduces him, um, appears to him in a garden, uh, and then uh, then is never mentioned again. Uh, and he's called Mister Machine at that point for those three issues. Okay. Um, then, uh, not long late after that, it, it kicks off with its own title. He's called Machine Man. Um, those three issues, obviously, um, because it's 2001 Space Odyssey, are not reprinted anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe the, the rights mean that they they won't be reprinted anywhere, which is a shame because those are great comics. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, so when um, Ditko takes over an art, it really sort of becomes a, a Marvel Universe comic. Yeah. Um, so it's kicked off by being in the, you know, the, with the Hulk. Um, the Fantastic Four turn up. Um, uh, Alpha Flight here. You know, there's lots and lots of guest stars. Okay. So it really gets meshed, meshed in with that. Um, what would be the six one six universe? Right. Okay. Uh, okay. So, so was Ditko the driving force on this then, or was um, Tom DeFalco? I know that Tom well, DeFalco is doing for writing, but did he just marvel manner over Ditko's drawing? My feeling is that um, the, Ditko's probably the driving force in it, and then okay. DeFalco's moving away. However, um, the next sort of popular and big iteration of Machine Man is the Barry Windsor Smith um, I've read the last of the four issue miniseries of that, and that was so, very, very good. Yeah, that's also Tom DeFalco. Okay. Um, although, um, again, Barry Windsor Smith is definitely the driving force on there. Um, yeah. it's, it's definitely a, an artist driven book yeah. in, in, its, it's in, in its way. I mean, it's, it's very like 80s sci fi uh, in, in how it portrays, like, the, the far future sort of Robocopy to uh, like total recall but it's very good um, yes absolutely I mean that's yeah. my first uh, the, the, the miniseries is definitely my first uh, interaction with Machine Man yeah. when it would be printed in the back of Spider-Man Weekly I want to say or possibly Transformers or maybe Zoids one of the British weeklies anyway, <laughs> okay. in the 80s um, uh, not entirely not sure could you return to the Jedi for all I know <laughs> Very, very strong memories of the the faceplate um, being picked up uh, in in an early issue of that. Um, very strong memories, also of Crystar, yeah, which was probably also a backup at some point. The like Crystal Warriors. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, that's where I first encountered Machine Man. Oh right, okay. Um, I didn't read any of those, so um, I'm sort of at a loss because um, everybody talks about them, but I've never read any of them. Oh, just the, I mean, in terms of uh, those British weeklies, they're just reprints. Yeah. Um, so you're not missing out on anything other than some of them are slightly bigger, some of them are black and white. Uh, yeah. There's, there's, an, there's a nostalgia tied to them, which I don't share. Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, occasionally what would happen would be they would split a story in half um, and then would have to draw a new kind of introductory page and okay. you know, odd people appearing there to do the fill-in uh, yeah. page. Um, and obviously in the 80s, I think specifically Transformers, there were more issues because it was a weekly comic. Yeah. So there was more story needed than the American comic reprinting could provide. Yeah. 
which is where Simon Furman's kind of celebrated run originally. Yeah, I'm aware of that because Transformers UK, Marvel UK's Transformers became the sort of the best Transformers, right? Uh, yeah, so I hear. Yeah. Um, I didn't. If I if I read it, I don't remember it. No, um, um, I got um, the, when they yeah. did that the part work, the Transformers part work. I got the first issue of that. But I didn't make it very far through it, to be honest. So. Yeah, I've, ne- I've never really felt the need to revisit the Transformers. Yeah, lots of people love Transformers. Um, yes. I like the toys, but I'm not. Um, uh, other than that. Wonderful, wonderful writer um, and editor now, IDW, John Barber, mm. has had a long association with Transformers, which is great. Um, his stuff's really good, uh, especially. Um, Transformers versus GI Joe with Tom Shioli. I've heard this. Yeah, I've heard that that's good. Yeah, very good comic. Very much worth your time uh, to track down and read that. Not that it's difficult to track down. Everything's on Comicsology. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, right. So. Um, oh, yeah. Back in the insurance office. Back in the insurance office. So Aaron is like, uh, no way. I'm not betting on on Teenage uh, preteen bad- badminton. Exactly. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so there's there's some hijinks in the office with that. Um, a lady called Pamela Quinn collars Aaron on the way, and he doesn't want anything to do with her because he makes her, he, she makes him feel very unrobot-like emotions, puzzling unrobot-like emotions, which frighten him. Um, but that's all we see of that. Um, then we go to a luxury suite in one of New York's finest hotels where we uh, find out that Kay has gone off to investigate some leads um, because in that room, Alpha Flight, uh, sorry, Sasquatch, Aurora and North Star are there. Um, Sasquatch gives them some special locators. I assume he's designed um, because he's a clever scientist, which can track Machine Man based on his radio, bio-radiational signal, signals. Yep. So if it's bio-radiation, that's like um, uh, Walter's, uh, Walter being Sasquatch. That's his specialism. So, yeah, he, he's designed these things. They have some uh, some light-handed, light-hearted banter, and then North Star and Aurora go off to get pissed in New York and leave him to it. Which I guess is why North Star is cosplaying um, John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. Uh, I can only assume that that's why. Yeah. Um, and Aurora is dressed very nondescriptly. Um, she looks more like um, Jean-Marie in these because she's got her hair up mm-hmm. and she's got her glasses on. And she's got a polo neck, a polo neck or turtleneck. Whatever the difference is between those two. I don't think it's either. I think there's a collar on that. And no, no, there is. Sometimes there's a collar and sometimes there's not. Yeah. God. Um. So, she, but she's quite conservatively dressed for, for the wild child of, uh, Alpha Flight. But anyway, so they go off to have a lovely time and uh, experience New York. And then, um. Uh, so the next morning, Peter Spaulding's in his apartment reading the news, and he goes in to see uh, Aaron, who is Machine Man, who is monitoring his internal circuitry without his face on. And now tell me, on my copy of this, on your copy, what number is on Machine Man's head there? X41. Yeah, it should be X51. Just ah. <laughs> Yeah. 
That yeah, that's it says that at the start of the X fifty one. This is the story of X fifty one, a thinking computer. Well there you go. There's your um, <laughs> yeah. Um so uh, he's got something from the news that he wants to tell Machine Man, but Machine Man's like I've just got to go uh at, Peter says, I think it's a oh, because there's a note in the classifieds, which is a, a coded message, a coded message for Machine Man to read, uh, telling him where to go to meet uh, Madame Mayhem, Madame Menace, sorry, and um, uh, what's his face? Uh, Peter says, Peter, Do you have a plan? And he says, No, but I'll think of something. And he goes out of the window towards his grim and uncertain destiny. So while he is scouting out the warehouse which the uh, ad led him to, and he uses his finger sensor to scout the area and finds a tracker in a warehouse, while he's doing that, Sasquatch has tracked him to his location um, while um, Aurora and North Star sleep off their hangovers. And... Decide, and so while Machine Man is distracted by getting the signal off the tracker that he's going to use to go and find Madame Mayhem, um, Sasquatch sneaks up on him and they have a big fight. And I won't go into the details of the fight, um, but yeah, they have a big fight, which ends with Machine Man chucking Sasquatch into the a big river. I'm guessing it's a big New York river like uh, Hudson. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's start with Sasquatch stripping naked. Um, yeah, because that's he doesn't want to... Because Hulk, if he changes into Hulk, rips all his clothes, right? That's correct, yeah. Whereas um, Walter is the thinking man's Bruce Banner, and so he takes his clothes off first uh, before he uh, like triples in size and becomes hairy from his uh, radioactive thyroid. That makes perfect sense, really. Hmm. Yeah, and um, he does make a comment here which is interesting for Alpha Flight fans, which is that the strain of his transformation is getting less painful, um, which is part of his secret backstory of how he actually got his powers, um, which I'll mention in a bit. But yeah, so he falls into Hudson, and then Machine Man electrocutes him just enough to knock him out, not enough to fry him, and then he drags him back out of the water and leaves him as a big hairy lump on the floor. He sneaks into um, Madame May, Madame Menaces. Why do I keep saying Madame Mayhem? He sneaks into her secret base. Start. He lets people punch him so that he can get his energy back. So it's kind of Spider-Man move to do. Um, meanwhile, Agent K has, is tracking down the exact typewriter that was used to send a letter to Canada. Um, the fight goes on until Machine Man is hit with a sonic disruptor and all of his limbs go crazy town and he's lying in a big jumbled heap on the floor um, And but then he's rescued by um, the shumming and shocking of Aurora and North Star and then uh, Sasquatch bursts in as well and they join in the massive old fight um, Madam Menace shouts down an intercom a bit. Um, and then, this is probably my favourite part of the comic, actually. Um, Machine Man, feeling that because his body is so out of whack and he can't join the fight, he detaches his head and uses that 
as like a guided missile to take care of all the baddies and destroys the sonic uh, savager uh, the, the sonic beam ray thing but in the yeah, process the melts tra- melts half his face um, when it catches um, on fire I think his detachable head has been shown before. I think okay. it's new and a surprise to us as an audience. It seemed to be a surprise for him as well. Um, yeah, it was, it's good though. I, I, they could have. I wish they'd had like a whole page of his head flying around hitting yeah. things. That that would have been really good. But um, yeah, so his face gets all melty and he. Um, re- then after the sonic gun is broken, he reattaches his face and flies into a wild rage and beats up everybody. Everybody gets terrified. They say that they've got to calm him down. So Aurora and Northstar try to blind him, but he just turns his eyes off, uses his finger sensors to stop them. Sasquatch tries to calm him down. And then he goes crazy town on Sasquatch and beats him within an inch of his life. Yep. Um, realizes what he's done, or well, he realizes he's done something, but he says, "What have I done?" Which just he doesn't know what he's done. Then he turns himself into a drill and leaves. At that exact moment, Agent K finds the machine, the typewriter, which the letter was written on, and it belongs to Senator Miles Brickman, who is our baddie senator so the game's rumbled for him and then um then the last page is um alpha flight driving back to canada because they uh realize that they're there for the wrong reason um madame menace um is crazy in the basement uh, swearing vengeance brickman gets sacked and machine man with his melty face uh sort of walks off into the darkness in a Mac and that's the end of the episode the issue that's right yeah only one more left in that original volume after this yeah um, yeah it's a very much uh, tying up a lot of the the plot lines that have been kind of rumbling along um, and leaving him looking a bit sorry for himself very this man this monster yeah with his melty face indeed so how did you get on? Did you have fun with Machine Man? Or did you consider it a, a slight on the good name of Alpha Flight? So if we cover the Alpha Flight stuff first. So um, so the, the, the most glaring thing is that throughout this comic and on the cover, Aurora and Northstar are blonde. Whereas canonically they have shiny black hair. So when when John Byrne's drawn them, they're sort of half the hair is black, half is white. But that's only because it's so shiny, it looks white in the light. So that was the first yeah. thing that sort of raised alarm bells it's with me. It's of when they're going out dancing, and then her hair is brown at that point. But yeah, um, so yeah, you're right. Actually, it it goes back to oh, I don't know what's going on. But on the cover, they're definitely blonde. So, but this, this is, as, as I think you said before, this has come out after Alpha Flight's first couple of guest star. Yeah, star. so they've been in the X-Men, but they won't have been anywhere else, I don't think. Uh, Sasquatch was in that Hulk, but I don't think Aurora and Northstar were used anywhere yet. I think after this, they turn up in um, 
Marvel 2-in-1 with The Thing. Um, and they're blonde in that as well. So um, it was, I think, I think it's just those two issues, this and that, where they're blonde. And then after that, everyone realises what's gone terribly wrong and correct it. Um, so, yeah, so that was that's that. I mean, I can put that down. All these issues are prior to the first issue of Alpha Flight proper, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So, and I assume they're working from character sheets as well. So it says, um, with detail, I, I assume that somebody somewhere has written up some sort of biography for these characters to explain who they are, and that's why we get little details about them uh, sort of like dropped in pretty, pretty, they're not very subtle in the comic. Um, so, um, but I can't remember. One thing they don't make reference to at all here is North Star being gay. That's not alluded to at all. So whether that's because they weren't aware of it, um, or although, yeah, so that that's not made reference to. Um, and Aurora is drawn as... Um, Jean-Marie instead of Aurora when she's not in costume which is uh, again canonically wrong um, but uh, yeah uh, sorry and then the the reference I make to Sasquatch is his getting um, his, the, the strain of his transformation gets easier and I don't know if, I think we spoke about when you guessed it on my podcast but um, his Sasquatch power comes from the fact that he didn't actually gamma irradiate his thyroid what actually happened was his experiment allowed the evil spirit of the ancient Sasquatch to invade his soul so when he transforms he's actually just letting out the evil spirit of Sasquatch and over time um, that takes on more and more control over him Um, and so as Alpha Flight progresses through its initial run he gets um, he has less control of his temper and so what they what they've done here is sort of allude to that. Um, but yeah, one thing they do mention here uh, when they're doing the briefing on Sasquatch is that he's got near unlimited strength, um, and that he could take on the Hulk. And that sort of comes in and out depending on who's writing him, because sometimes he's got unlimited strength, um, uh, and sometimes he's sort of a bit strong, but not as strong as other people. Uh, I mean, he's as strong as machine. How strong is Machine Man supposed to be? Because he's, uh, he's pretty got handy. Machine powers. He's got yeah. I mean, he's pretty handy. Um, he's certainly got. He's stronger than having big bendy arms would first. You know. Yeah. You suspect. Um, he kind of has the powers that he needs at any time. <laughs> yeah. interesting. It's interesting actually. Um, in the initial Kirby run, he's much, much, much more powerful. Okay. And when. Um, Ditko t- takes over. Um, they essentially um, start off and go right. Let's depower him, and they say, "All right, we're just we're just going to take a lot of your power off you." By the way, um, because you might have exploded if you continued being so powerful. We'll give you we'll give you some new um, uh, things like the finger finger sensors, um, uh, his heat cables in his right arm is. Um, finger attachments for computer linkings in, in his belt. Um, yeah. Telescopic eyes, which he always had, um, which is the, the most horrible thing. <laughs> there's a, there, there's a, I think, like with Sasquatch, in the, the issue I read on your podcast, mm. um, there was a real kind of 
undercurrent of body horror. Yeah, I uh, can see that. Where, certainly, where it's like, um, there's a bit where they're talking about he's broken his leg and they don't know what will happen when he transforms again. Yeah, and there's that bit where he takes his... So he's um, interrogating his internal circuits or whatever, but he's taken his mask off and under that is like a robotic skull. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot um, of the derangement of the body in uh, in Machine Man. Um, There's a lot of he will get bits um, damaged or he'll get bits torn off. Um, Madame Mayhem, your your (laughs) favourite. Yeah. Because it's she's called Madame Menace. Yes, that's one. Um, she is an arms dealer, as you pointed out. Yeah. Uh, she came into the comic last issue as a literal arms dealer. She bought um, his arm, which <laughs> he lost um, rescuing someone. Um, it was pinched and uh, sold to Madame uh, Menace, yeah. and wanting to take the technology and use it to manufacture more weapons. Um, yeah, so uh, arms dealer. It's good, Tom. Good yeah. scripting that. Um, um, so one attachment you didn't mention is he's got his roller skates, <laughs> foot skates, which come out the bottom of his feet. He often uh, has some kind of wheels going on. Uh, yeah. He has some kind of welding half a car to himself at one point. Um, I think last issue he became an odd kind of unicycle with his legs bending down to to one uh, to one wheel thanks to gears. Um, okay. uh, there's yeah, there's often this kind of moment where he's doing something that's just not right. Um, and as the uh, the slip is about a robot, it's it's Pinocchio. It's uh, it's about yeah. a, a machine that wants to be a man. Essentially, he's learning. He's a, a new type of um, machine that can feel feelings and all the rest of it. Yeah. But um, like um, uh, the Bakhtinian um, inversion, uh, what you see is constantly um, it's underlined um, that he's not a man. So yeah. You get to a point where it's like, oh yeah, actually, look, he's 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 trying to help people, and he's compassionate, and he thinks he doesn't feel stuff, but he, he, there's feelings he doesn't understand. Hmm. Um, so he's quite human, and then they'll underline it that actually no, he can never be human. His, yeah, half of his face is melted off, but actually, never <laughs> him at all. He's just miserable. Yeah. So the other um, thing I've read with Machine Man in, and it might be two issues, is Marvel 2 and 1 with Jocasta. And he falls in love with Jocasta pretty quickly because Mm -hmm. she's a machine lady. And I don't think he's met another machine lady before. So he's instantly like, this is is the relationship for me. This is fate. Uh, Yeah. Um, I don't. I think she decides to be entirely alone away from humanity instead of spending any time with him, if I remember that correctly. But um, yeah, he does. He does smooch her. So yeah, good for Machine Man. Um, uh, yeah. So uh, what else did I want to talk about? So shall we talk about the creators involved here? First of all, I just you can do. Yeah. Quick word about Tom DeFalco. How did you find the scripting style? I. I really enjoy that bombastic old Marvel style where they use far too many adjectives. Everything's alliteration. That's the word. He is the most um, drawn to alliteration 
uh, writer. <laughs> he's, he's absolutely he loves it. Anytime he can he can put a little bit of uh, alliteration in there, he will do it. Yeah. Uh, it's um, it's quite the feature of the title. And I think as it's gone on, as he's been scripting these, I think it's the last five issues of the run he's done. Yeah. Uh, it just kind of gets more and more and more until it becomes a little oppressive. <laughs> Um, and obviously the uh, other creator we should talk about, who died just 20 days ago, yeah. just 20 days ago since T- Steve uh, Ditko died. How did you get on with Steve Ditko's art? Oh, right. So I really like Steve Ditko, in, but I haven't read a lot of his stuff. So I've read his initial run on Amazing Spider-Man and strongly love that, right? So I thought I would come into this and strongly love the art in this. But as I was reading it, I was like, mm, okay, so maybe Ditko did the layouts and then the inker just did a bad job. And then I checked and Steve Ditko inked himself. So there's, it's like he is not trying very hard at all. Um, when he draws in Alpha Flight, it looks like he's sort of sketched in the places they would be in the comic rather than actually drawing them at all. Um, the way he um, draws in their like Aurora and Northstar's sort of like supersonic power is it's not very good. He just they're sort of like ghosts with speed lines off them. Yeah, I, I wonder if he's seen Tron. Is Tron out in uh, late? Tron is a couple of years after this, I think. Yeah. Um, but even then, the there's no precision in in the speed lines he's drawn on. So I think they've done him with a ruler, but he's not. There's uh, yeah. So I think if this is a modern and a lot of the lines of there's not a lot of weight to a lot of the lines unless it's a, a distinct shadow. Um, it might have been done with a fine liner or something like a, like a pen rather than a brush. I don't, I don't know. Um, it's. It looks it, like they were all done in a rush. It's definitely lighter feeling than, say, his Mister A work. Um, yeah. Uh, although there's some lovely stuff in it, I think the, the the page one, the splash page one, which sums up pretty much everything that happens in the issue in a <laughs> in a in a panel, in a kind of a page work that, that doesn't exist, including yeah. the head coming off, which is there too. Yeah, um, I think that's wonderful. Uh, There's something cool. almost religious about that. The way yeah. that he's drawn the the, the the light shining off that head uh, is kind of like an old icon or a stained glass window sort of yeah. thing. Yeah, I, and I, I, I see what you mean about the the lightness of uh, sort of the figure work. I mean, there's nothing wrong with any of the figure work. Um, it's got that odd oddness that Ditko often brought to it because he doesn't bring the same um, poses that you see in every other superhero comic. Yeah. and Because what he's still got and what I admired about Spider-Man is he's got really strong underdrawings. So the way the perspective moves around the page is is really dynamic and strong. But it it feels to me just just it feels like reading this that he enjoys doing that more than he enjoys filling in the lines. Mm, yeah, and um, I think the panel panel stuff's lovely as well. You you're never lost. No, there's it's never anything less than clear. But um, 
but yeah, I, I, I think we could probably safely say that he doesn't particularly care about no. this comic. Um, I, I don't know if it, but though that said, I mean, his, his personal work from recent years, um, is sort of even, even lighter in terms of, of the actual lines that are on the page. I don't know if you've seen any of his more didactic. I've not things. seen any new ones now. They are fascinating. Um, they're fascinating in a way that can only come from um, a, a person of dedicated vision, shall we say. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they are. Um, they're very strange, um, but they are kind of wonderful in um, a very, and very direct. Um, okay. I think that's something he always has going for him. Yeah, I can see why he would have been drawn to Kickstarter for his last few comics as a way of um, sort of sort of Ayn Randian power well, of the will stuff. Called Robin Snyder. I think Robin Snyder did all of that. Yeah, uh, and sort of just leave Ditko kind of alone to to do his thing. But again, all of this is kind of conjecture because yeah. nobody was speaking to him. Not really. Yeah. So, you know. Um, but we shall not see his likes again. No. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I admire the man. I don't necessarily admire the effort he put into this comic. But it's not just him, because... Um, and I don't know if it's because of production methods or anything, but Nel Yomtov, yep. who I am not... I don't think I've seen anything he's covered before, is pretty slapdash in, in places. Um, he's not... Yeah. Did you um, see um, what the opening um, credit box says about Nel Yomtov? His colours often blurred. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes. So um, yeah, no. Uh, the this opening credit, we possibly should have a quick note on this. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. I think so, it's, yeah. This is the. Uh, I'll just read it through. Um, perfidiously produced by Tom DeFalco, whose writing is justly slurred. Steve Ditko, an artist absurd. Diana Albers, she's letters like a bird. Nil Yomtov, his colours are often blurred. Denny O'Neill, an editor, never bestirred. Jolly Jim Shooter, who commands the last word. And there's an asterisk as Jim Shooter tells us, see, I told you I'd get even with these tiresome turkeys for insulting me in the last issue's credits. And indeed they did in, uh, do that last issue. They called him uh, a tall clown. So, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, as editor in chief, he has got his last word in there. But yeah, the colours are um, rather colourful. I mean, there's a lot going on. Yeah, they're, they're inconsistent. Occasion, they often go over the lines. Um, yeah, and, and some of that might be down to printing methods. I, I don't know. I don't know. But um, they're, they're not brilliant. There's some weird colour choices as well. So. Um, when Northstar is dressed up to go out, he's got his black shirt on, his white suit, and he's got bright blue shoes. Um, does, which yeah. is, is an interesting colour combination. Uh, yeah, because he, uh, if you were just look, to look at it like in one frame, you could f- be forgiven that it was like a stylistic choice because of the lighting or whatever. But we see them twice. Once at the bottom of page 10... Uh, and then once more at the top of page 11 as he's walking away, and they're yeah, definitely that, blue that, shoes, which match Sasquatch's tie. Yeah, and the blue shoe, that's the sole of the shoe, that, mm. like uh, like some kind of alternate Louboutin. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, but, so the art isn't perfect. As I say, I really like a lot of the underdrawings, especially when, um, Machine Man is fighting. When there's action and fighting, it's sort of, um, it's a much stronger comic. Um, there's lots of crazy, and, um, having those extendable limbs means that you get lots of crazy shapes on the page. Um, either made by the arm or what they've been wrapped around and I really like that um, and yeah he reminded me in this of Spy- uh, he reminded me of Spider-Man the way that Spider-Man approaches a group of henchmen and sort of gets in the middle yep. and sort of swings about it, it was like that just without the sort of where that would be quite tight and paranoid um, this is like uh, much bendy there's lots of circles in the page and there's like st- strong big shapes um, I quite like yeah. the way um, uh, Agent K, the mysterious Agent K, sneaks around. Um, the, the, I the, really liked Agent K. Yeah, a lovely kind of um, uh, espionage kind of feel to those panels, um, despite the fact that his mission involves him sneaking around quietly and then hammering away into every typewriter in the building. That's <laughs> the right answer. Um, but the, even the colouring kind of steps up its game on, on those. You're right, actually, it does. Nice yeah. Blues and sickly yellows. Yeah. I, mean, I think I could read an entire comic of Agent K searching typewriters. I, I, I generally think. I, I, uh, seeing the whole comic from his perspective and just him yeah. going about his business, um, he's a fascinating character, and it's a pity that, as far as I know, he only turns up. In this comic, I'm not aware yeah. of Agent K, Canadian Super Spy, yeah. turning up anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, Agent K, Canadian Super Spy has a certain ring to it, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I would definitely read more of his exploits. Because um, he's so subtle and underplayed, he's just like. He's just um, doing a job, and he's, yeah. he's, he's willing to put in the legwork uh, and type on every typewriter in the entire <laughs> building. He's searching the office of every bureaucrat, every elected official within the post office's radius, which is a lot of typewriters. Yeah. The other character that I would, I don't know if there is more information on, but Rollins, the chief head henchman, who um, doesn't appear to be very different from any of the other henchmen. I think maybe he's got a different colour mask. Um, But I like the fact that he's referenced by name. Um, and I also like the fact that that means that I can imagine that he's actually Henry Rollins yep. being ordered about. Um, Henry Rollins was a lot skinnier at that point, I think, in 1980. I guess um, so, yeah. Uh, but he might, was, was he in Black Flag at that point? Probably. Uh, might be a bit early 1980. Yeah. Um, the um, one I'd like yeah. to know about is the cabbie. The, 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 oh, yeah. The one <laughs> non white person in the. Um, entire uh, comic. Was that line about pineapples? Yeah, Sasquatch is you know doing that whole follow this, you know follow my directions. I've I've got a beeping watch. It's a percent sensor, and the uh, the cabbie says it's pineapple time again. (laughs) I don't know what that means. There's no reference at all that makes that clear. There's nothing in the previous issue. There's nothing in the issue after. He doesn't turn up and say, oh, here's a, a rather natly dressed cabbie who's got a, a fear, perhaps, of pineapples. I don't know. Um, I, my 
my take on this was that pineapples are somehow a really expensive, luxurious fruit, which he really likes. And so That's having it. a rich He's Canadian in the back of his taxi price. driving round in circles will give him enough money from fares that he can afford to eat pineapple. That's okay. the best explanation I could come up with. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll run with that. I like that. <laughs> That's about the, the most charitable thing that you, you could possibly come, uh, come up with. So, yes, let's go with that. Unless... Uh, is, his pineapple slang for either an out of New Yorker or a Canadian. I don't know. Or maybe he doesn't know that New York's called the Big Apple. I don't, it's, it's very unclear. <laughs> very unclear. Um, like a lot of like a lot of this issue, it's been very unclear. Um, yeah. So yeah, shall we wrap up our conversation? I think so. Yeah, I don't think I've got. I think I've said everything I wanted to say. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's then move on to this week's competition. Um, as ever, we have a competition. Um, this week's prize um, is going to be one of my earliest comics, a comic called Live Static. It's an unfriendly romance. Um, it's a nightmare about love. Um, and also um, a copy of uh, the most recent comic, um, uh, An Awful Imp, uh, featuring... Oh, Mr. Hopkins, um, about Matthew Hopkins, the um, Witchfinder General and his early life, and Vinegar Tom, about the familiar. So, competition time. Uh, to win those, um, here's the question. There is a particular type of meal that the Alpha Flight members hate. Tell me what that meal is. Uh, answers via DM, as usual, to me at Douglas Noble uh, on Twitter. Um, I'll choose a random um, answer at the end of the week, which is the 26th of August, midnight GMT. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'll get in contact with you uh, via the, that DM and send it out to you. Now, Gareth, yeah. after that, um, what do you have to plug? Sorry, there's one other thing from this comic. Sorry, I really ah, okay. missed. Okay. You can you can edit it back into order. But there's uh, one thing that I shared on Twitter when I first read this. And there's a panel where um, Sasquatch is in his uh, in the in the apartment in the hotel, and Northstar is teasing Sasquatch about what they're going to do. And Aurora says, Jean-Paul, don't pressure Dr. Langowski. He may turn into Sasquatch and make nasties on you. Yes, I did notice that actually. That was um, that's fabulous. I really enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry. So yes. So plugs for myself. Plugs so yourself. How what nasties are you making? <laughs> so um, I have recently finished my um, eighty or eighty-eight page abstract auto biographical comic Petricor that's coming out in 2019 um, and more details will be available when I'm able to furnish them um, before then I'm hoping to get out a comic um, called Intercoursal Extension which is about the Enfield Poltergeist um, uh, that will be hopefully this year um, if you would like to find me on the internet I am on Twitter at G-R-T-H-I-N-K, which spells Gerthink, which is Gareth Inc. without the vowels from Garethin. That's how that is said. And um, that's also my website. 
and it oh you should also listen to Alpha Pod Flight if you haven't already because I talk to some really interesting people about issues of Alpha Flight there. I think that's all the plugs. Yeah. Word. Yep. Okay. Um, as ever, I'm Douglas Doble. You'll be able to find me wherever Google sends you when you type in Douglas Doble. Um, next week, we will be talking about issue 19 of Machine Man, Volume 1, which is jolted by Jack O'Lantern. Um, I am going to have a special guest on that, director Peter Greenaway, who, um, as you know, I'm a big fan of. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, in the meantime... Um, this has been the gravity equation and now, now that we're done it's time to cancel the gravity equation